You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. I apologize in advance for my voice. I know it's grating, but you folks after 15 years should be used to that anyways, all right? We'll do our best to get through the message this morning. Look, if you would, at verse number 15 of our text, 2 Samuel 21. Last time we were together, we talked about the first 14 verses. We saw that there was an internal threat going on in Israel, and David dealt with that, with dealing with the travesty that had happened to the Gibeonites. And now verses 15 through the end, we see an external threat, and that is of the Philistines. And again, we, we know that these last four chapters are not in chronological order. It's just sort of a, a capping up. And so now we're looking at the, the external with the, the Philistines happening here. Not in any order. This is the, just sort of capping off the, the series on 2 Samuel chapter 21. So look with me, if you would, now. Verse number 15. And David went and took, and that's 12, verse 15. Moreover, the Philistines had yet war again with Israel, And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. And Ish by Benob, which was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have slain David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, succored or helped him and smote the Philistine and killed him. And the men of David swore unto him, saying, Thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Thibachai, the Hushanthite, slew Saph, which was of the sons of the giant. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines, and Elhanan, <clears throat> Elhanan, the son of Jaarioragam, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a battle in Gath, where there was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes, and four and twenty in number. He was also born to the giants. And when he defiled Israel, Jonathan the son of Shimea, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. This is the word of the Lord. And we thank God for his word this morning. I think we can all agree before we start that we are blessed this morning at least with the names that we have. <laughs> Richard isn't so bad. I've been uh, through the book of Samuel now, thoroughly enjoyed the Old Testament, looking at the character of God, his faithfulness being seen over and over and over again. And the truth is, the study has been a blessing to me to see the God who is the God that we serve. And so this morning, my prayer is that we will see the Lord, our God, 
persevering or preserving his sons and daughters, and that we will see him, that his word, his prophecy is sure. And in the middle of that, I want to talk about God's servants this morning. So bear with me this morning. Let's talk first and see from our text, um, preserving God's king. David had waxed faint. And again, we don't know the time frame of this. We know it's later in David's life, but he has waxed faint. He's in the midst of battle now, and for whatever reason, he stumbles, he falls, he bends over, he's on a knee, he catches his breath, and he's faint. And the text doesn't tell us why. But you understand that any type of military exercise would be very strenuous. When I was 17 years old, I was in the U.S. Army. I was stationed at Fort Knox, Kentucky. And at Fort Knox, they have two little hills they call misery and agony. And, and you would take your 80-pound rucksack, strap it to your back, and you would march up and down misery and agony all day long. Those hills were well-named. You would be faint. You would be weary. And maybe this is what ha- is happening for David. He is in a position now where he's just exhausted. Or maybe he's a little bit older. You know how that goes sometimes, right? You now pass 40, maybe stretching to 50, maybe past that, and you're just tired of always being tired. You understand? I don't think there's anything worse than that other than maybe a newborn mom who understands that they're always tired. Newborn mom? Newborn baby of a mother. Yes, okay. <laughs> you get me. Ah, everyone's tired. (laughs) Everyone's tired. David's tired. And here comes old ish B by nob right? The Philistine. We'll call him Nob for short. It's a little bit easier this morning. The Philistine should be called Nob, right? And so he sees David, and David has stumbled, and he makes a beeline for David, and he thinks, this is my chance, this is my opportunity. I will quench his life. I will take his life. I will slay the king of Israel. We will be done with this. And so as he approaches David, Abishai sees him coming, and Abishai leaves what he's doing, and he helps David, and he comes in between. And, and it's interesting, there, there is no great description here of what pursues There's no great battle scene. We don't hear the dramatic music of the last of the Mohicans playing as he runs to David's aid. He just kills the Philistine. And now old Nob is on the ground in his shiny new suit, and he's dead. Once again, we see our God preserving the life of his king. This is not new for our God. He has preserved David's life before. As a youth, out in the field with a lion and a bear, he has preserved his life as he ran from Saul one step away from death. He's preserved his life over and over again, and he's done it here on the battlefield. That's just like our God, to preserve the life of his king. And he will, as we know, preserve the life of the future king when Herod seeks to extinguish all the babies there in Bethlehem. God preserves the king. And even when it seems as if Christ's life is done, the king is buried, he's in the tomb, yet he is preserved and his flesh will not see corruption because three days later he gets up out of the grave. This is our God. He preserves life. He preserves our life as sons and daughters. 
of his. But there's something interesting here that's said about this situation. We obviously see God preserving his life, but I want you to see the, the decision that's made after this battle. When the troops see that David could have been killed, they say, wait a minute, David, listen, we know you're a great warrior, we know you're the king, but you're not going out to battle with us anymore. This was too close for us. And look what they say. They say, I, we don't want the light or the lamp of Israel to be quenched. This is how they view David as the, the light or the lamp of Israel. What a moniker. What a name. It's funny how we have names or nicknames for people. I'm sure this morning you probably have a nickname for maybe a loved one, a sweetheart, maybe a friend. I don't need to know what that is. Some of those are weird anyways. <clears throat> Tim had a, a woman who drove her to school as a kid. It was a husband and wife. And their nicknames were Snail and Lamb Chop. I have no idea, and I do not want to know why they, they had those names. But that's what they called each other. Snail and lamb chop. David's called the light of Israel. And in the Old Testament, you know that light symbolizes life. Life. All life. It symbolizes prosperity. We go to the New Testament and we see the idea of truth and life and the idea of light. And so here are the men of Israel, and they're saying to David, David, listen to me, you are the light, you are the lamp of Israel, which I think is a great name for David, considering it's David. At this stage in David's life, he has had his share of failures. He has blown it. He has stumbled. He has left a wake of destruction in his path. And yet, when the people of Israel look to David, they say, David, you're not going out anymore because you are the lamp, you are the light of Israel. You are the epitome of life and truth and prosperity and flourishing. David, of all people, in his brokenness is seen as this light and this lamp. Take your Bibles this morning, look at Matthew chapter 5. Because you've been given a name as well. I think it's worth looking at this morning. This will be familiar to you. The Sermon on the Mount, beginning of it, Matthew 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Christ calling his people salt. The idea of engaging our culture may be hidden as a preservative, indirect, but you are salt. God's people are salt. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but put on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This morning, brother and sister in Christ, you know something. That when God talks of you, he gives you the same moniker. He says, you are light. You're light. Distinct. Direct. To engage. 
You say, that's fine, but I am broken this morning. Broken. Can I tell you something today? We are all broken. We're all broken. We are broken by sin. We are broken by our own stupid decisions. We are broken by the decisions of others. Yes, we are a broken people. And yet, God says to us this morning, you are light. You are my light, especially in our brokenness. Why? Because God wastes nothing. Our God brings beauty from ashes, and he takes that brokenness, and he shines his light through us. It's not your light anyways. It's his. It's the beauty of the Lord that has worked in our lives. And there's something about a broken life that shouts the glory of God when Christ's light is lived through it. We are to let it shine We don't produce it. We don't make it up. We allow the Lord to work through us. And as that light of Christ shines in all of our brokenness, it is attractive. It is beautiful. It is pleasing. And we as believers this morning, in the midst of our brokenness, are called to be light. To be light. To be distinct. To be direct. To allow the life of Christ to flow through us. This morning, I wonder, beloved, How does the world perceive your world, where you live, where you interact, where you are known? How do they see the light of Christ? Is it an appropriate representation? Do they see who he is, his love, his grace, his kindness, his compassion? Our God preserves his people and our God uses his people. We are to be light to the world. Number two, I want you to see this. Not only does God preserve his people, but we find that he allows his servants to be praised. In the text, we find a list of men whose names we will not read again, who have gambled their lives to do the extraordinary. And here in the text, we have a list of their names. Their names. And this is not unusual in the Word of God. We'll find later a list of David's mighty men. We'll go on through Scripture and find where those who were faithful at building the wall, whatever task they had, there was a list. We find this in the New Testament. Look at Romans chapter 16 this morning. Romans 16, starting at verse number 1. I I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Centria that ye receive her in the Lord as become a saint, and that you assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a helper of many, and of myself also. Greek, Priscilla, and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And so we see this list, this, this almost an honorable mention of people who are faithfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's servants are praised. Now, we, we have to be careful. Um, Praise is like perfume. You smell it, you don't drink it, right? But there is a time that God's people need to be praised. Last week, we were not here, and we had a a sort of my mom's birthday kind of family reunion going on. Kim had been with her grandmother (laughs) over the week, staying to nurse her, and uh, we were there together. 
And many folks have asked about Kim's grandmother. We appreciate that, your prayers. On Sunday morning, about 3 in the morning, Kim and I were at her house, and we were just trying to keep her from going into a nursing home. Kim was ministering to her while she was there, and I was there with her. At 3 in the morning, she got up, and she screamed for Kim. She yelled for Kim. She was uncomfortable in pain, and so Kim ran in and, and helped her, and then <laughs> got her all situated, and then afterwards came back in the room. About 20 minutes later, she called her again. So I went with her. We went in the room and uh, got her situated, and uh, we turned on a, a TV show, I think, at, at 3 in the morning, 3.30 in the morning, because she knew when you'd leave the room, and so it was a cooking show, and we turned that on, we had a cup of coffee, and I said to Kim, I said, you know, it's going to be a long day when you have your first cup of coffee by 4 a.m., and shortly after that, Kim's grandma shouted again, and, and we went in there, and uh, she said, Kim, you have to let me go. You have to let me go. I have seen a beautiful place. I have been to a beautiful place. I have seen a beautiful place. I want to see my God. I want to see my family. And I have peace. And we thank God for that. We've, we've given her the gospel myriads of times, especially in the last few weeks. And um, we, we were thankful for that. And, and the reason I bring that story up is just to fill you in, but Kim's grandma is an amazing woman, 95 years old, living by herself, Grandma Ruth would tell you what was on her mind. and She had a nun who came in <clears throat> every week who would sing to her. And the nun had a beautiful voice. But you know those kind of people who sing or they do something so that they believe they have a beautiful voice and they like to hear themselves sing and do things? You know what I'm talking about? You know, you know it's like, I sing so well, I'll keep on singing. And I want you to know that I'm singing. Right? And that kind of, that, that's what she was like. And so she was singing away, singing three hymns. And Kim was outside the room. And this sweet nun said, Ruth, would you like me to sing another hymn for you? And Kim's grandma opened her eyes and said, no. (laughs) And she sang another song. (laughs) She sang another song. right? And there are people who live to be recognized, to live to be seen, to be in front. I'm not talking about those servants because they are not servants. They're people who are doing because it does something for them. I'm talking about real servants. And and in the church and body of Christ, there should be a sense that we recognize real servants of Christ and we acknowledge what they're doing. (laughs) Fifteen years ago, I came to this church. This church at that time was 23 years old. They had had five pastors and numerous splits. And they called the 32-year-old, who had been a youth pastor for 10 years, who had never pastored a church, to come and pastor them. The church had grown to 23 people. And they, they unanimously voted. They, they said, we, we want you to come. And do you know something? When I came to this church, those 23 people They were dedicated to making this thing work. They paid the bills. They took care of the property. They were faithful. And not one of them left. Not one. They stayed. And they have seen crazy changes in this church. They have seen the bathroom with carpet in the bathroom. Bad idea. (laughs) Especially in the men's bathroom. 
Carpet on the walls, right? Red, bright, shag. I mean, they've seen the building just transformed, but they've seen life change, and they've seen 15 years of things happen, and the church grow, and, and an influx of people, and, uh, and, 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 and just change after change after change, and they have been faithful. And it's a blessing. And the longer I live, the more I acknowledge the faithfulness of God's servants, they should receive honorable mention. Because they're not the flash in the pan. They don't show up and look at me and then they're gone. They just faithfully, in the mundane, every day, doing what they're supposed to do. And it's a blessing to those around. People who stayed. We have our church men and women who have weathered the storms of life. And they don't quit church. They don't look for something else. They stay. And not only do they stay, when they bury their loved ones, the next week they're all sitting in church praising the God of heaven. That's faithfulness. We need to recognize it. We have those who are single moms and single dads who struggle every day, and they're faithful. They're faithful. They're just doing what they're supposed to do. The people in foster care, they're being stretched beyond measure, and they do it not for fanfare, but because they really believe they can make a difference in someone's life. They're faithful. We have those who show the love of Christ constantly, where they make meals, they, they call people, they make a visit, and they don't do it for anyone to see. We don't even know they're doing it, and they're faithful. show Christ on a daily basis in their places of work, in their community, and in their families. I wonder how much our, our church would change and be transformed if each of us would make it a practice to thank God for the others in our church. And say, God, thank you for so-and-so, and thank you for him, and thank you for her, and thank you for that family. And then, go tell those others what it is about them that we thank God for. Could you imagine? <laughs> and again, I'm not talking about people who are looking for praise. I'm talking about people who are just doing the job. God's honorable mention, his servants are praised. And we better open our eyes and realize what a real servant is. A servant is someone who doesn't do it for fanfare. They sacrifice for the good of others. And we see that in this list that David gives. And we see it throughout the New Testament. And then finally, I want you to see this morning, the promises of our God are sure. They're sure. All four of these combatants are giants, literally giants. We don't know their lineage or, or whatever, where they came from, if this is the proper name, but they were big, bad dudes. And yet, we see in this text, that God has been faithful to his word. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 3 this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 3. And look at verse number 18. Now then do it, for the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel out of the hand of the Philistines and out of the hand of all of their enemies. This is God's word to Israel. 
when David was still a young man. And I want you to know that all the years and all the Philistines have not changed the word of God or the strength of his hand. His word is sure. It's sure. We have the, the, the story of the six-fingered toe and guy, finger and toe guy, giant there, 24 digits, right? And I'm not trying to be funny, but the, the truth is his story doesn't count. It doesn't count at all, at all. What he does is he makes a huge mistake. He defies the same word Goliath used. He defies the armies of God. And the point is, God's word is sure. All of God's enemies someday will be silenced. All of them. All of them. We sang the song, O Church Arise. What a great song. What great words. What great truth in this world that we live in. There is evil. There is wickedness. There is injustice. There is sin. There is sadness. But I want you to know something. God's word is sure. And all those who curse the God of heaven, someday they will be silenced. Every mouth will be stopped. And so you need to understand this morning, God's word is sure. In his curse, it is sure. Look at uh, Galatians chapter 6 this morning. And jump down to verse number 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Listen, this morning I want you to know something. God's word is true. In the curses that he promises, they will come to pass. You cannot continue to, to sow in the flesh and wickedness and not reap your, those rewards. I was um, part of a conversation. I wasn't part of the conversation, heard the conversation of a, of a man who was talking, and he was, his, his life is messed up. It's messed up. And as he was talking about his life, he said, man, I just don't know how I got here. It's just like, I, I don't know how I got here. I used to be, I, can't, I don't know how I got here. And someone who was a true friend of him said, of his said, you do know how you got here. You made one decision after another that eventually you ended up in this place. My friend this morning, understand something with the word of God. It is true in the curse that he says. You cannot continue to blatantly live against him, go against him, his will, his plan, and his design, and think that it will be okay. It will not be okay. It will not. Ask the Philistines. They don't lie. At least the dead ones don't. And I'm telling you something, God's word is sure, and what he says will come to pass. There is coming a day when all of those who mock the name of Christ will be silenced. But it has, that, that, that sword is two-edged. Not only is it for cursing, but God's word is sure for his blessing. But listen, dear friend, we trust this book for our eternal salvation, right? I mean, I mean, think about this. You are staking your soul 
on what this says about who Christ is, what he has done, your sinful condition, your hopelessness, the fact that God loved you so much he sent Jesus to die for you, to, to have the wrath of God against sin poured out on his head. Christ was a propitiation. He appeased God's wrath so that you and I can go free. You believe that. You are trusting this book for your eternal soul. Amen. And we can. We can. But listen to me. You can trust this book for your everyday life. For your everyday life. My friend, there is coming a day when the words of Oprah will not be enough. There is coming a day when the words of Confucius or Buddha or the Dalai Lama or Dr. Phil or Joel Osteen will not be enough. There is coming a day for every one of us that what we need is going to be the Word of God. I've been reading about Alexander White, who is um, a fascinating character, actually. He was a Scottish pastor, brilliant man, uh, unbelievable story. He was the pastor of Free St. George's in Edinburgh. And in his 82nd year of life, he was writing a letter to a former member and friend her name was Mrs. Innes. I think that's how you say it in Scottish. I-N-N-E-S. Innes? Say it for me, Ian. Innes. All right. <laughs> this is Innes. Right. So he was writing to her, and uh, he didn't go through what, what situation he was in. There was something happening in his life in his 82nd year. But here's what he said to her. He said, here I will say, it's an 82-year-old pastor who had been faithful to God's word. Here I will say, only say that what I preach so long to you is now the one stay and strength of my life. What I've preached so long to you is now the only stay of my life. It's the word of God. Now listen to me. I don't doubt in this church that, that everyone would say, Amen! Praise the Lord. That's exactly right. But let me ask you this. How is this book going to be your stay if you never read it? You, you never open it. You don't even seek to memorize anything or meditate on it at all. And I know we're in a busy world, but can I tell you? You waste time on TV. You waste time on Facebook. You waste time on social media. And one day you're going to wake up and realize you've wasted your life and you've never plumb the depth of the riches of this book? His promises are true. Not just for eternity, but for everyday life. And so this morning, my voice is done. And so are we. But let me just say, understand that our God preserves his sons and daughters. And you, like David, are light. This week, you and I need to be a good representation of Christ. When people see you in your world, where you live, will they see the real Jesus? Loving, kindness, truth, righteousness, faithfulness, compassion. Number two, we find that honor, honorable mention role here. Why don't you take some time this week 
And look for people who you know are just serving Christ. And just call them or drop them a line and say, Brother so-and-so, I just thank God. And you, you need to do this first. Don't tell them. You just thank God didn't do it. I just thank God that you serve in this area, and I want you to know it's a blessing to me. You can do that. You can write a card. You can send it. You can do it on Facebook. Just, just do it. Right? And then this week, God's word is sure, but you've got to know it. Will you at least commit this week to open it? I don't know where to start. Well, we'll start someplace practical. Go to Proverbs. Do the book of James. You'll find something. Don't go reading for just days on end. Find something. God, this is your word. It's true. It's sure. Show me by your spirit what you have for me. And God, help me to claim this and believe it and to do it. We can do that this week. And I pray that you will. Let's have a word of prayer.